Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler here again with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, our podcast series. So I'm here with my usual co-pilot, Brooke Gilman, and we've got a special guest from our trading desk, Mark McNeil. Mark is from our equity and corporate bond desk. He's our lead guy in that area. And so what we thought we'd do today is mix it up a little bit on the educational front. A lot of times people think about securities lending and the demand that drives the need to borrow security with being directionally short interest. And that's not necessarily the case for the majority of the demand. So there are a lot of other trading strategies behind reasons why people borrow securities. And what we wanted to do today is talk very specifically about one of those drivers, which is mergers and acquisition arbitrage. So I'm just going to hand it over to Mark to maybe just outline the concept generally of what's happening and why there's an opportunity to make money there. And then we'll delve into a recent market example. So Mark, welcome to your first podcast and why don't you take it away? Sure. Thanks for having me here. So as you alluded to, the majority of flow in the U.S. equity lending space is directionally short. From time to time, there are merger and acquisition transactions that create special events in the securities lending space. So there's typically two types of deals, you know, either be cash and stock or all cash. And depending upon the type of deal, it can lead to an event where there's wide premiums and a great lending opportunity for beneficial owners. Mark, so recently, I know we had an opportunity with DuPont that obviously you guys on the trading desk were quite active in and we involved our clients in understanding what their elections were going to be and finding opportunities to trade those securities if it worked for each client account that held DuPont. Can you just give us a better explanation of how that particular trade worked and what were some of the dynamics behind that? Sure. This was a great trade for the market because so many clients were able to participate in it. So what was exciting about this one, it was widely held across pretty much all clients. And I know a lot of borrowers and both agent lenders were able to participate. In this deal, the two stocks involved were DuPont de Nemours and International Flavors and Fragrances. So tickers DD and IFF. So in this case, DD commenced an exchange offer to spin off one of their business units to IFF. So for securities lending clients, anyone that owned IFF, the stock began trading special in November and then traded special through the entire deal. So that would have been securities lending earnings for the months of November, December, and January. The deal concluded in the end of January. DD was the arbitrage piece of the deal. And that is where we would solicit elections and then trade take no action elections on behalf of clients. So in the case of this deal, there is both a cash and stock portion of it. So that is exactly what we need to create securities lending value. There's all cash deals, there's all stock deals, there's spinoffs that go to private equity firms. But in this case, we have two public companies in a cash and stock deal where there's essentially an election and it creates both a short piece, which was the international flavors and fragrances, and an election piece that was the DuPont or the DD and the demand for take no action shares. So I know that the process works where when one of these opportunities is upcoming and you identify which clients are holding the particular securities, we then on the client side are reaching out to those clients or to the investment managers to understand what their elections will be in advance. 
Can you talk about why in this instance, the take no action election was the preferred election in order to capitalize on this opportunity and what it would have been if it hadn't been take no action and whether that materializes anything or is it completely binary in terms of whether there's revenue potential for a trade opportunity in these instances? In this case, it was binary. So there was only demand for take no action elections. And in addition to that, it had to be a take no action election that was guaranteed through the duration of the deal. So what does that mean guaranteed through the duration of the deal? Well, demand began to materialize right around Christmas. And like I said earlier, the deal concluded at the end of January. So around the week of Christmas, we initially saw demand for take no action elections on DD around $1.75 per share. For lack of a better term, that is a very juicy premium for lenders. And it's rare to see that much value in a deal. So at that time, any securities lending trader, their ears are going to perk up. We immediately turned around and communicated that opportunity to our client team. So like we said, it was binary. There was either value or there was no value. But in addition to the election itself, if we had lent that stock around the week of Christmas, that stock had to be guaranteed or lent on term for essentially five weeks. So the client had to be able to or willing to both pass an election and term out that availability that we would then lend on their behalf. Obviously, depending upon the mandate, the client type, active or passive, index following or not, not all clients can do that. So as you get closer to the end of the deal, the need to term it or the piece of the borrow that is term becomes less and less of a priority. Mark, what is the borrower doing with this stock? So they're borrowing it, right? And they have the take no action election. How are they making money on their side of the trade? So around these larger deals, there's often pricing inefficiencies for event-driven hedge funds. They're going to use either the underlying stock themselves or the options market to create an arbitrage opportunity. And generally, this type of strategy is referred to as deal ARB or event-driven ARB. So in this case, they would be both selling short the International Flavors and Fragrances stock, so IFF, in tendering the DD stock, locking in a premium based upon when they put on that trade relative to the conclusion of the deal. So in this instance, when demand first materialized, like I said, around Christmas, the premium was very wide and bids started around $1.75 per share. So as those pricing inefficiencies came in and the premium shrunk in the cash market, hedge funds were then willing to pay less for the same stock elections than they were, say, one week prior, two weeks prior, three weeks prior. So the initial bids of $1.75 per share shrunk to, say, $0.75 per share three weeks before, then $0.50 per share two weeks before, then eventually into the single digits. So there's other things at play too, like volume. Like I said, because this was a stock that so many clients and lenders participated in, eventually the market was flooded with volume of take no action elections and only so much of that volume can be absorbed. So in this case, and this isn't always the case, but in this case, there was certainly a first mover advantage and clients that lent take no action shares at the beginning of the deal definitely made more money than clients that did not. And that's not to say that clients that didn't capitalize on the trade at the very beginning didn't do well. There was a deal where there was a large premium 
in cents per share bids around 50 cents is still very significant. You know, if you look back over the past few years in securities lending, there has really been even less than a handful of deals like this in the US equity space. But that being said, the pricing is very fluid. So depending upon when the deal is executed, the cents per share piece of it or CPS bid could have varied widely. Mark, that was great. So tell me logistics on how this thing emerges. You guys see something on Bloomberg, this deal gets announced right from that standing start. Are you communicating with the client team to reach out to clients? How does that all work? Yeah, sure. So I'll back off of this deal for a second and we'll kind of consider deals in a larger capacity. So we absorb this news just like anyone else, whether it's CNBC or Bloomberg, when deals are first identified. And typically there is an estimated end date on the deal. If a deal is not expected to conclude for a year, there's probably no immediate opportunity. So in this case, as the end of the deal approached, securities lending demand began to materialize. So the deal was actually already on the radar of trading, but we didn't yet have demand to communicate to clients for the DD take no action elections until the end of December. But at that point, once we see that demand has materialized and we can essentially canvas the market for pricing, we'll package that information up for our client team who will then solicit the elections from our clients. And I think it's relevant to note that this is one area where securities lending does have the potential to have direct involvement with the investment manager on an account, whereas normally securities lending really does operate seamlessly behind the scenes. But this is an area where there can be added incremental revenue opportunity by engaging directly with the investment manager for their election, asking them whether they're able to allow a loan to be locked up in term for the period. And that really is unusual. You know, those situations don't occur very often, I know. But Mark, can you give us some examples, more just for context for folks of maybe some other deal names that might have acted in a similar way to this DuPont in the past however many years? Or if this one stands out in terms of opportunity to you, what other ones have stood out in the past? Yeah, this one definitely stands out. And you made a good point regarding working with investment managers, because even though there's an election here, if some investment managers cannot elect to tender their shares, because they might have to follow an index where only one stock is part of that index. So they might need to hold DuPont shares regardless of what they think is most economical. So by lending your shares and communicating that election, we can help them capture that value that otherwise would be missed. Great, so Mark, tell me a little bit about how often we find clients who decide that they wanna take this opportunity and give us the take no action election. So the events themselves are fairly rare when they're at this scale and it's a security that's so widely held. So in and of itself, it's gonna be infrequent. But that being said, each deal needs to be evaluated on its own merits. Depending upon the investment strategy or the mandate of the IM or portfolio manager, sometimes there really isn't a decision to be made. They have to follow a certain mandate or strategy. Other times they can make a decision that they might find most economical. Sometimes it's a split election. We'll have investment managers that pass an election along to us that's half take no action and half of their position they tender. So it really is unique to each individual situation. And because the pricing in the securities lending market can move, and I think that does influence the decision, it's probably a secondary piece of their decision, but it is an influence. Depending upon the premium in our market and the value we can provide, I think 
that also is something that plays into the decision whether they're going to elect take no action or tender their shares. Brooke, tell me about the process you and your team go through as you reach out to clients and they may have to get buy-in elsewhere in the organizations. Sure. So we're obviously reaching out to only those in an example where they would actually hold the shares in the accounts. And we're mindful of what those accounts are like in terms of management style, everything that Mark was referring to earlier. But we'll typically, even if they might have a history of not being able to provide the elections and or not typically electing take no action, we'll still reach out proactively, let them know about the opportunity. Oftentimes, Contacts that might oversee the securities lending function aren't necessarily those that would be able to provide the answers. They're oftentimes either reaching out to an external manager or internal portfolio manager or an oversight group on the portfolio management side if they're not the ones directly involved in SEC lending. So it's oftentimes a bit of a chain, you know, telephone tag in terms of getting to the source that is supplying that election information. But it's important to provide clear information that gives some of the data that Mark was sharing, because sometimes that can also be useful market intelligence ultimately for the PM. Thanks, Brooke. And Mark, that was great insight. Great to get you off the desk here for a little bit of time to share your valuable information. So I think that that's going to wrap it up for us. Again, we wanted to give people some insight behind this M&A arbitrage opportunities, and we will continue to do this and talk about different trade opportunities because it's not all short interest. So We'll continue to come out here and give you guys some more information and detail behind what drives demand in our markets. So thanks again for tuning into ESEC Lending Insights and have a great day. Thanks, Brooke and Mark. Thank you.